Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for the All Saints Lutheran Sermon Series of Podcasts. We're so delighted that you've landed on this page, and we ask that you contextualize yourself by reading the descriptor. Enjoy, and let us know what you think. Saints and siblings in Christ, good morning. morning. Throughout this season of, season after, excuse me, epiphany, we are spending some time looking hard at the early parts of Jesus's ministry. So you may recall that Vicar Michael took us through Jesus's baptism just a couple of weeks ago. And then last Sunday, Pastor Jules invited us to consider his first miracle in the changing of the water into wine. Today, we return to Luke's gospel and have before us Jesus's first sermon, at least his first recorded sermon. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but his first sermon was a heck of a lot shorter than mine is going to be today. (laughs) Though to be fair, at less than 10 words, it's very difficult to get much shorter than Jesus' first sermon. But that's what's before us this morning. The beginning of Jesus' formal ministry with a preaching and teaching tour throughout Galilee. And at this beginning there are a few things that it's important for us to take note of. First of all, our gospel text begins with a reminder about the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is important. It's a recurring theme throughout Luke's gospel where the Holy Spirit's presence fills and leads and empowers people for prophetic work to live into the mission of God in a new way over and over and over and over again. We are reminded constantly of the Spirit's work in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, of Simeon and Anna, John the Baptist and Mary, all these stories part of Luke's gospel. And after Jesus' baptism, it is the Spirit, we read, that drives him back into the wilderness. And now it is the Spirit who leads Jesus and guides him into Nazareth and dwells with him in the ministry that he is setting out on. Secondly, it is important that we take note of where we meet Jesus today. We find out that he is on a preaching and teaching tour in the synagogues. Jesus was, the scripture tells us, a pretty regular church-going sort of fellow. And not only did he attend worship on a regular basis, but he participated in the life and the ministry of the congregations in which he visited even getting up on Sabbath mornings in front of the congregation and being a reader. Which reminds me that if you would like to be a reader, please let us know. We'd be happy to have you. That'd be great. Following his reading, though, he does what preachers from Nehemiah and through to today still do. He interprets what was read. He preaches. And of course, being Jesus, he can get away with a preaching style that I don't think that I ever could, And it's a nine-word sermon, after all. And there may be some of you thinking, you know, Pastor, we really wouldn't mind if you just preached nine words and sat down and were done with it. And I've got to be honest with you that there are some Sundays when I look at the text and that seems like really the best option. I would love to be able to stand up and read the gospel and then sit down and just say, well, there you go. There it is. That's the good news. And call it a day. Because that's honestly what Jesus is doing. In this text, 
Jesus is standing up in front of the people, reads from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he looks around and he preaches, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Boom, that's it. You wanted to hear a word from God today? There it is, end of sermon, mic drop. And he sits down. And the beauty of Jesus' message, of course, is that he made those nine words such an incredibly powerful, resonant message. Because not only was this Jesus' first sermon and the opening of his ministry in the world, but these words become his manifesto, his philosophy, the basis of all the work that he would go on to do. In this brief interchange of reading and preaching, we get the entire platform of Jesus' ministry. Who is Jesus? He's the anointed one of God, the one led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit for God's work. And what will Jesus do? Bring good news. Proclaim release to those who are imprisoned, both in physical prisons and for those who society has excluded. Those set aside as less than, those trapped by poverty, gender, education, genealogy, occupation, health, age. He will heal the blind and the lame, raise the dead, and bring new life. This Jesus will set out to remake the world in the image of God and to proclaim the Lord's favor. Now, that's a pretty good sermon. And it's worth noting that up until this point in the gospel, Jesus has been all around fairly beloved. He's basically the golden boy. His preaching tour of Galilee was going great. The people of his hometown were thrilled to have him visit. Folks were proud and excited about this burgeoning rabbi. But after this sermon, things take a turn, which is weird, right? Because all that Jesus is doing in these words is proclaiming good news, freedom, healing, hope. He even tosses in the joy of the Jubilee year for good measure. This is about as happy of a sermon as you could possibly get. And so why, in the verses following this text, do the people turn on him? And the answer to that is simple, and it's the same now as it was then. The idea of a radical redistribution of wealth and power often doesn't sit well with the wealthy and the powerful. You see, when Jesus proclaims good news to the poor, it means less poverty, which means that those who are wealthy might have to have a little less. When Jesus proclaims freedom to those who are imprisoned, it means that he's tearing down the walls that divide us. It means that we have to let people in that society tries to keep out. Those people from the wrong side of town who come from that family or that country or who speak that language, they have welcome too. And when Jesus says that those who are sick deserve to be healthy, well, who's going to pay for that? And when Jesus says that the oppressed should go free, it means that we have to rethink our justice system 
that we have to reform it into something that is actually, you know, just. And when Jesus proclaims a year of jubilee, a year in which God's law states that debts are to be forgiven, slaves are to be freed, property is to be returned to its original inhabitants, and the land is to be allowed to rest and rejuvenate and not produce for cash. Well, you can see how those with power and money and authority and land and slaves and an interest in keeping others indebted wouldn't be thrilled about the idea. Because Jesus came to make all things new which means tossing out some of the way things have always been. Reforming the world to justice and righteousness means a reckoning for those who are benefiting from the status quo. That the way that people hear the words of Jesus as good news or as condemnation is somewhat telling. And it reminds me of a rabbinical allegory called the allegory of the long spoon. The rabbi says that in heaven and in hell, there are great feasts laid out as far as you can see. As far as you can see. And everybody in heaven and in hell has these gigantic spoons instead of arms. Long, 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 long spoons <laughs> instead of arms, instead of hands. So long that you can't, you can't bend them around and reach your own mouth to feed yourself. And everyone in hell, starves, surrounded by food, because they can't pick up the food and bring it to their mouth. But everyone in heaven picks up the food and feeds the person next to them. And so everybody eats and rejoices and is filled. Each situation is exactly the same, but the difference is in how you approach it. Our gospel text today holds the situation. Jesus defines his life and his ministry, lays out the gospel and the core of his work. That is the central reality to the mission of Christ, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in this world. And we, like those in the synagogue, are faced with an opportunity to react to Jesus' message, to define ourselves, to decide how we will follow this Jesus. What will you do? Who will you be? Because the reality is that we live in a world that is divided, do we not? And we live in communities that are too often defined by those divisions. Where justice too often depends on the color of your skin, where one's gender or sexuality or age or background is used to exclude or intimidate. We live in a society where wealth and privilege are more connected to success than work ethic. And where I would suggest a jubilee year might just be exactly what we need. We have an opportunity to define ourselves in relation to this mission, this mission that Jesus lays out. Who will we be, people of God? Now, I hope that we are people who follow that real short sermon from Jesus, seeking to fulfill the scriptures, proclaiming and living the good news of God for all. And if we do that, we get to participate in good news. 
And for good news, we can all say, thanks be to God.